Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello, and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting-edge strategies and acquiring leads and sales to acquire more customers for your business through traffic. And today, Qasem Aslam, we're just going to be talking problems, the problems that our listener faces in this intimidating and scary and uncertain time that we are in right now. Nobody knows if the economy is going up, going down. There's all this AI stuff out there replacing jobs. Like a lot of people are scared. And I am not a scaremonger type of person. I was going to say, I feel like I'm watching Fox News right now. Like all of a sudden, in these uncertain times. So I don't want to go all, uh, what's the Fox News guy that just got fired? Tucker Tucker Carlson. Tucker Tucker Carlson. My boy from Maine. Oh, good TC. It's actually like a half hour from our place in Maine that got flooded over the winter time. But anyway, the point is, I do think this is not false fear mongering. I think there's a lot of uncertainty about this. And I've, I've written Ooh, a, there's a lot to be afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me just feed your paranoia right yeah, now. Yeah. I know you're, well, I mean, I'm speaking to the guy who is a bit on the paranoia side, which is great to have this conversation with somebody because I'm only paranoid if you're wrong. I'm perpetually (laughs) optimistic about the future of America, (laughs) the future of the world up until a certain degree. I will say I'm more optimistic about humanity Mm -hmm. than I've ever been because of AI. Okay. That's interesting. Because of AI, I think we're going to solve more problems than anybody thought possible on a faster timeline than anybody realized, and massive problems. A global hunger, supply chain, energy issues, distribution of information, meritocratic information gathering, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to zoom into what we're talking about here, we're also going to end up usurping a lot of category kings, replacing a lot of professionals, jobs are going to be lost, other jobs are going to be found. And I think that's what we're talking about. I think that is what we're talking about. So table that for today's discussion. But today's nugget is brought to you by Tier 11. No, actually, today's nugget is a good one. And this is one we've been holding on to for quite some time here. We sort of discovered this late last year is a lot of people will ask about especially if you're running Facebook ads, meta ads, whether or not campaign budget optimization or ad set budget optimization, here known as CBO or ABO, is a better choice. And for you who have lots of offers, I know there's lots of e-commerce companies that are out there that are selling thousands of SKUs online. Or in our particular case with this particular client, it's sort of a service-based business with a digital products tie-in, but they sell 20 offers at any given moment in time, 20 plus offers actually, anywhere between 20 and 30 offers. And each offer is running within its own individual ABO campaign. But while two to five of them typically work well, what happens is Facebook or Meta 
does not give any love to the other 15 to 20 campaigns. So what we decided is one of our media buyers said, well, I'm going to stop these ad set budget optimization campaigns because they're overlapping. They're just not getting as much. We're not being able to test all these 20 different offers and see what's working, what's not working. And then we threw them all into a campaign budget optimization campaign with basically the same budget. And we increased the return on ad spend, but we doubled it, almost tripled it. So instead of, let's just take a step back here. So if you're a director of marketing, you're like, I'm not running ads right now, but I don't know what my people are really doing. Well, ask them about ad set budget optimization versus campaign budget optimization, because it's a really important thing, especially if you have lots of individual offers, the tendency is to give budget to each individual offer in an ad set with maybe $20 a day or $100 a day. Then you have 20 ad sets, each at $100 a day, you're spending my math is correct, $2,000 a day, when in fact, the better way to do it, what we found, and we doubled our return on ad spend, almost tripled it in a very short period of time, is just stopping all those ad set budget campaigns and folding them all into campaign budget optimization with a larger budget. So I'm not exactly sure what the budget was, but it's between $1,500 and $2,000 a day. So we took all those ad set budget campaigns, rolled them into the campaign budget campaign, and all of a sudden we started to see our ROAS and the machine learning was really triggered through Facebook. They'd match the offer with the right audiences and really leverage those 55,000 data points in Meta, which is still a lot, maybe not the 72 million in Google, I get it. But the point is, it was a remarkable turnaround for these campaigns, which we really sort of struggled to manage. So if you're using a lot of ABO and maybe you tried CBO in the past, and I know a lot of people when CBO first came out, there was a word where CBO was going to be the default campaign. You couldn't actually do ad set budget optimization. Well, go back and test it again, especially if you have multiple offers. Let's say you're an e-commerce brand with five to 10 individual products you're selling, maybe all relatively speaking in the same niche. Try it in campaign budget optimization and see what kind of results you're getting. So these continue to be really high-performing campaigns for us. So a little nugget for the PT listener. That's a huge nugget. There's a nugget embedded in that nugget too, which I like for directors of marketing specifically. You said, even though you're not running the ads, go ask your team about it. And one thing I like to do is I ask people to explain things to me in simple terms. So it's the whole like, tell it to me like I'm five. And what I have found, and this is really sad, there's a lot of people don't know themselves. So you go to your media buyer and you're like, hey, tell me which of these you're using and why. And media buyer A says, well, I'm using this one. And then you realize very quickly he or she doesn't know why. Mm. And then media buyer B is like, oh, well, I use this one for this reason because when I tried the other one and dives really deep. And so you don't need to know anything in order to realize other people lack and or hold competence. Such a great point because I think if you're running a team, if you have a team of media buyers or just online marketing specialists, challenge the status quo. And I guess that's the takeaway from this nugget is every, and I, this is a absolute, just one of these things that bugs the hell out of me is that we will test something once and then we won't test it ever again. Like a new feature comes out in Google or Facebook, that doesn't work. Of course it doesn't work in the first round, but maybe go back to it months later. I remember when Instagram ads first appeared like Instagram in the Instagram feed. They're like, ah, that just don't work. Imagine if we had stuck to that. 
Because Instagram, in some cases, is 40, 50, 60% of our ad spend versus Meta, just because it skews that way for whatever reason. It's not necessarily younger demographics. Everybody sort of thinks that. It's like, even if you have older demographics. No, it used to it be. used to <laughs> they've, be. They've grown it's, up. They've grown yeah. up. You know, they've, yeah, yeah, they're now more mature buyers. So my point is, is just because something doesn't work, and this is typical of, I think, media buyers in general, if you've got a team of them, challenge them to try the things that maybe they tried before and do it again because everybody gets stuck in the same habits. I've found the great media buyers are the ones that never think that what they're doing is the exact right thing. They're constantly figuring out ways to improve. And you know, our media buyer, Landon, figured this out here, and that's the reason why we're talking about it. And it continues to get great results. Shout out to Landon. There you go. Landon, he's the man. All right. Well, we are going to get into the problems, the issues, the threats, the fears of you, the listener, the perpetual traffic. How much should you be spending? What's a reasonable time frame for success for a campaign? Maybe you don't know how to exactly measure success in your campaigns. And really, the things that you should be looking for in your online marketing, we're going to get into that just after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, we are back and we're going to get into some of the things that are challenging you as a marketer or maybe someone who oversees a team of marketers or maybe you're the CEO of the company and you're just looking for results. You're, something's not working in your marketing. And what could it be? It's usually, it's this sort of basket of questions that people have from what we've found in our research and talking to a lot of our customers. And first off, they don't really know how much they should be spending in their online marketing and in which channels. That's the biggest thing. It's like, all right, I got Google, I got Facebook, I got TikTok, I got content marketing. You know, I've got video production. Where should I allocate my budget? And there's no one sort of specific answer for that. So let's talk about that. What's a reasonable time frame for success? 
with those channels and with the effort that you're putting into your online marketing? And how do you measure success? What is the true measure of success? And we will certainly refer back to the Mercer episode, as well as many, many episodes that he's done with us here. Well, I guess now it's two or three, maybe two, should be three. But the point is, is in some of these answers are not exact answers, but they're the questions that you probably have as a marketer. How do I allocate my spend? What does success look like? And where do I go from here? So if somebody asks you that question, Kasim Aslam, what's your first reaction to it? I take a really deep breath <laughs> and then remind myself to just stop taking sales calls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beyond this, Ralph. I've paid my dues. I have people to do this. And I hate this conversation. But it's a fair one. And really, it's not a marketing question at all. This is a business economics question. So when somebody asks me this and they ask me with their marketing hat on, I take my marketing hat off. I take theirs off. I rip it away from them because they don't deserve it. They haven't earned it yet. And then we put on our business operations hat. And now what we do is you have to, and I got, I, dude, I hesitate to say this because I feel like a whole bunch of PT listeners are about to just turn this episode off. You ready? You have to know your numbers. You have to know your numbers. You have to know. And that's when I ask, what's the lifetime value of a customer? First, and we're starting from the end of the train and then we're moving to the beginning. So what's the lifetime value of a customer? Great. What is your current cost to acquire a new customer? Now, the lifetime value of a customer is easy to calculate. How much money did you make last year? How much money did you spend last year on marketing? Awesome. You divide one by the other, bam. Now, that doesn't really give you the lifetime value, right? But it gives you something of a cash in, cash out, let's say. The, your cost to acquire a customer is a much more difficult number. But what's nice is we now get to take the lifetime value of a customer and we know that our CAC can't be any higher than that. Once I have a CAC target, now I can start having the conversation with you as to what is it that I should be spending. And what's great is this conversation gets more reasonable once people realize that there's no such thing as $10 leads anymore. Everybody's been spoiled by this 2012 narrative, you know, $10 CPLs, and it just doesn't exist. My very strong opinion for businesses that are just getting started out is you start at the bottom of the funnel. We actually call it the bottom up funnel. I've got a whole video on it in YouTube. We can link to it if you want to. But you start at the bottom of the funnel because that's your easiest traffic. It's the easiest to convert. There's far less variables, but it's your most expensive. And the bottom of the funnel, by the way, is if somebody goes to Google, if you're, I don't know what, you sell molds for industrial engineering. So somebody goes to Google and says, industrial engineering molds bespoke molds for industrial engineering, custom molds for engineering, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you come up and you're going to pay way more for that traffic than you'll pay for any other traffic in your entire life. But the likelihood of it converting is exponentially higher. And so now you've identified, okay, at the extreme bottom of the funnel, here's my cost per acquisition for a customer. And now you say, well, how do I beat this number up? And the truth is you beat the number up, not by optimizing that bottom of the funnel campaign, because that's a snake eating its own tail and it's a race to the bottom. You move up the funnel so now one step above is capturing people that are learning or researching. And then a step above that is capturing people that aren't even problem aware. You have your bottom of the funnel, middle of the funnel, top of the funnel. Start at the bottom. The bottom will tell you what your cost per acquisition is if you go buy traffic from the market that's already been educated. So here's worst case scenario, cost per acquisition. And just to use a round number, okay, it cost me $1,000 to acquire a client. Great. Now I know you have a $1,000 CAC. If you can move up to the middle of the funnel, I bet money, and this is a real number, by the way, I'm not being hyperbolic when I throw this out. I think your middle of the funnel lead acquisition should be half of your bottom. And I think your top of the funnel lead acquisition should be half of your middle. 
it's orders of magnitude more efficient when you're the one educating your prospects. But because you're saving time, it's costing you money because it takes time to move people from the middle to the bottom and from the top to the middle. So start from the bottom and begin to zoom out. And that will give you what your cost per acquisition is and then could be. Once you know your cost per acquisition, now it becomes a goal conversation. Well, how many customers do we want and or need in order to achieve our goal? If it costs me $1,000 to acquire a new customer and I need my goal for this year is $20 million in gross revenue, I know what I'm currently making, I know what my margin is, I know what a customer is worth to me, so I know how many customers I need to have by the end of the year. Okay, I need 10 customers by the end of the year. It'll cost me $1,000, I need $10,000. Easy breezy, lemon squeezy. It's all just very basic math that requires you to sit down and really understand. And don't worry about obsessing over this. Just get a rough LTV, get a rough CAC, and then play with those numbers because you're going to be wrong in the beginning. So put something on paper that allows you to at least begin the process because otherwise you're going to obsess over trying to dot all your I's and cross all your T's. It doesn't improve your results by enough margin to really dive too deep there, my soft opinion, in the beginning. So high intent-based keyword. This is really interesting because, first off, I didn't actually know what your answer was going to be. It's fascinating because your worldview is so different, but it's... So it's, Google. <laughs> it's, it's great. Like My answer will be somewhat different than that, but your job as the listener is to blend ideas from other people and make your own as to what's the best thing for right. your organization or for your department or how you need to report to your boss at the end of the day, but that intent-based, high intent-based keyword, I don't know if I'm going to be saying this correctly, but bespoke industrial mold would be a very high intent keyword that you're suggesting this business, this theoretical business should advertise for and determine whether or not they can actually acquire a customer with that high intent-based keyword. And then what? The reason I go after the high commercial intent key phrases, and by the way, you don't have to do this in Google. There's high commercial intent segments in Meta and LinkedIn. Sure. There's effectively in-market audiences, people that are shopping for this thing, people that are in this group. So you can identify bottom of the funnel traffic in a myriad of ways. But using Google, because it's the easiest to explain, if somebody goes to Google and says bespoke custom mold for engineering or whatever... The reason I start there is because the market, markets are efficient, if you believe Adam Smith, and the efficiency of this market has set the rate for this traffic. This traffic costs X. So in this particular instance, again, let's use round numbers and let's just say that it costs $20 a click. This market costs $20 a click. Great. And then the question becomes, well, what's your conversion rate on site? If I have a 10% conversion rate on my site, and you might not know this yet, by the way, that's why you have to run this as an experiment. Run it for about 90 days. Let's say that you end up having a 10% conversion rate. That means that you have a $200 cost per lead. Okay, that makes sense. What's my close rate? Lead to close. And let's say that you're closing one out of five. Well, that got us our $1,000 cost to acquire a customer. $20 cost per click, 10% conversion rate, 20% close rate, bam, 1000 bucks. Now, you can go start beating these numbers up, and you should. You can drop your CPC by being more relevant. You can increase your conversion rate by improving the on-page experience. You can increase your close ratio in a number of ways, improved lead quality, better sales process, better follow-up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it is... There's only so much you can improve when you're at the bottom of the funnel because markets are efficient. But here's what we just did. That $1,000 to acquire a new customer, if you go, well, wait a minute, my LTV on a customer is $800. And Ralph, I've advertised for businesses like this. My favorite example is life insurance. We're advertising for a gentleman who sells life insurance. It's all he sells. 
It's all he sells. And I'm running the numbers for him. We had actually done some other things. He was a serial entrepreneur. I had a couple of other businesses for him. And we're running the numbers for him. The cost to acquire a new life insurance customer was more than he would make off of 20 years of commission. And he's asking me, he's like, dude, well, how on earth can other people afford to spend this? And the answer to me is obvious. Every other insurance company knows, well, if I can get you for life, I can get you for whole home, auto, umbrella, et cetera, et cetera. So they're using it as a loss leader. So what I like about bottom of the funnel traffic is it lets you know right out of the gate, I'm suiting you up, I'm putting a weapon in your hand, I'm throwing you into the Coliseum, and I'm seeing whether or not you can compete with your market. If you can't, this is really important. It means you don't have the ascension that they have. You don't have the efficiency that they have. You can't close the way that they can close. You're not charging what they're charging. You are doing something wrong because other people in your market can afford to pay $20 per click. So what are you doing wrong that they're not doing? And this is a full stop moment, by the way. This isn't like, oh, let's go buy cheaper traffic. This is, I have identified an inefficiency in my model that I need to dig into, and I should be bringing to my leadership team, by the way, hey, everybody else in our space can afford to pay this, and we can't afford to pay this. What's There's something ineffectual about our model, because incidentally, this is going to be true across every level of analysis. I don't care where you go for your traffic. You can go organic, referral, pound the pavement, door knockers, dial for dollars, whatever you want. Other people have a more efficient business model than you do, and Google just taught you that, and it taught you that in a span of 90 days, and I think that's a miracle. So that's why I start there. Go see if your model's efficient. Once you're in a position where you can self-liquidate, and that's your only goal, you're not trying to make money. If you spend $1,000 to acquire a customer for 1000 that makes you $1,000 that first year, great, you're profitable. And that's the way 10 years ago, you could be profitable on the front end. Five years ago, you could break even. Today, you're actually in the red half the time and you're in these because these businesses are getting more and more and more efficient, these businesses are banking on the come. Uh, I talked to the CMO of Salesforce. We hired him for some consulting for another organization that I was a part of. Salesforce is banking on a 25-year lifetime value. Salesforce is banking on the fact that they will have a customer for 25 years. They spend with the understanding that if I acquire a customer, they'll be with me for 25 years. So if you're competing against Salesforce, imagine the firepower they've got compared to you and the efficiency they can bring to the market compared to you. So those are the things that you learn at the bottom of the funnel, and it saves you from spending a whole bunch of money at the top of the funnel, which takes months, if not years, to trickle down, only to learn the same lesson in a much harder way. So I'm not telling you the bottom of the funnel is better. I'm saying it's better short-term. Long-term, I actually hate the bottom of the funnel. Think about my own business, Ralph. I run a Google Ads agency. Google Ads is my least favorite acquisition method for clients. I love organic. I love podcasting. I love my YouTube channel. I love my referral partners. I love my mastermind. Google Ads is a horrible place. Horrible place. I don't even bid on the term Google Ads agency any longer. But if I had, if a meteor hit my business and I had to start all over, that's where I would begin so I could zoom out and go from bottom to the top. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I think this speaks especially to somebody who's, I'm just looking at some of the the, the leads that have recently come into Dear 11, for example. These are businesses that want to hire us and say, well, I want to scale to $100,000 a month in revenue in a highly competitive, like one of them is a business coaching niche. I want you guys to come in magically. Just go in. You press that lead press button. That lead you button. have the lead button back there. Just press that button. Press that me. lead button and you'll figure it all out. Well, yeah. By the way, can I pay you later? And do you work on commission? 
I'll give you one quarter of 1% of my business. I don't know what business coaching is for a keyword phrase, but you are competing against, well, first off, number one in the organics is Censure. Is HubSpot, <laughs> to your example. Oh, I guess you said Salesforce. Let's use HubSpot. Probably has the same model yeah. as my guess. Obviously, highly profitable company. You're competing against Tony Robbins. You're competing against Brian Tracy. You're competing against all these local businesses. Like this is Action Coach, you name it. I mean, this is a highly, highly competitive space. And the smarter thing to do would actually be to find out like how bloody is this water? Like how red is this ah. ocean to begin with? <laughs> yeah. Before you go, I, I appreciate the fact that this company wants to hire us. Great. I love it. Thank you very much for submitting your application. But the point is, is you're going to expect us to create a miracle here and you've never sold a damn thing. Now, this is obviously what you're talking about is very, very basic starter one-on-one. What if they came to the equation saying, hey, I was you know, bidding on business coaching terms and I realized that first off, nobody is converting or my cost per acquisition for an actual client is $10,000 and I only make $2,000 you know, per coaching customer. That is an upside down business. So back to the question at hand here, you need to know what your numbers are. And no matter what it is, I mean, you're using bottom of funnel, we typically will test with top of funnel and try and figure out, okay, what messaging is actually resonating to trickle down ultimately to be the bottom of the funnel, but high intent keywords, that's where the water gets very, very red in my opinion, especially in like the example that you use in the business coaching space. And you'll find out very quickly what your cost to acquire a customer is. And if you don't know what your lifetime value is, you're kind of flying blind in this case. And it does come back to understanding and knowing your numbers and having some kind of frame. So in the case of bespoke custom mold example, which is a great example because it's obscure and it's niche and it's high intent you can at least get an idea. Like you have to spend some money to figure that sort of stuff out at very bottom of funnel. And I think this is what the smart businesses do. They go out and they test things. They say, okay, this is how much it's going to cost me. And I don't even know what I'm doing. How can I actually enhance the lifetime value? What can I add on? What can I do after the initial sale, the, after the initial transaction? How can I enhance that lifetime value? How long is it going to take me to get my money back from the clicks I've already paid to bid for bespoke custom mold. And at least you have a starting point. But then once you have a starting point, then what? That's great. You can figure all that stuff out. And then then you're kind of back to square one. You're like, all right, well, now I realize that at bottom of funnel, it's going to cost me $1,000. My lifetime value is only $200. I'm selling my product for $200. I'm completely upside down here. Then what? Do you go out of business? Do you test and tweak? What would be your recommendation there for somebody who starts in that direction? It depends on how far off the mark you are. You know, like the life insurance agent, for example, where he was 20 years off. I'm like, dude, you know, I, I forgot what he was making. It was something, it was horrible. It was like $21 a year for these policies he was selling. He would get $21 a year and it was going to cost him $400 to sell a policy oh or something insane. Oh my God. You know, and not all the policies stick because people cancel. Right. So when we did the math, I was like, dude, this is a non-starter. For a guy like that, I think that Google just did you a huge favor and taught you that unless you're playing 
the network marketing game, you're going to have a really hard time scaling this type of thing. If you're not that far off, if you are underwater, but you realize, okay, this is just hyper competitive at the extreme bottom of the funnel, what you do then, this is a strong opinion loosely held, Ralph, feel free to just knock me off of this. But I think that the way that smaller businesses win is they niche down. I'll give you an example. I just think I've used this example before. I just bought a sauna. And I'm researching saunas, left, right, center, upside down. I'm an educated consumer. I want to know everything there is to know about everything. And the sauna a that sauna, I ultimately- the CRM, a sauna. Oh, yeah. I bought a Got box it. that like, heats wow. up. Wow. And I sit doing in well. It. You just bought yeah. a sauna. I, I just bought the company, Asana. <laughs> I still podcast, though, because I'm bored. No, if I'm buying, I'm buying ClickUp. So I buy this sauna. And the sauna that I ultimately bought came from an organization that had low EMF yeah, saunas, right. low electromagnetic frequency saunas. And they had such phenomenal education on the dangers of EMF, other appliances that have high EMF, what happens when you're exposed to EMF, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a 20-page PDF, and then they're explaining their mechanisms and all these things that I needed to know. I'm like, okay, I'm sold. I'm plagued with health issues. I can't afford to sit in a microwave. I'm buying the low EMF sauna. I talked to my buddy. Yeah, done. Bought it. And it, you know, it was 20% more than the other saunas, but that's okay because it's low EMF. Yeah. I, I talked to my friend who's triple PhD engineering guy, and he goes, dude, all infrared red light saunas are low EMF. Infrared is low EMF. That's what it is. And Ralph, I wasn't even mad. God bless those guys. So if you can't afford to compete, because if I go to Google and I say buy sauna, and actually do this right now as the PT listener, if you're sitting at a desk, go try to shop for a sauna. It's a cesspool of garbage information. It's all like drop ship bullshit, like kids in their backyard with plywood and fire starter. It's just impossible. So you begin to search based off of value proposition and people have different requirements. You know, maybe it's an outdoor, it's a multi-person or whatever. These people decided like, okay, we're going to go be specifically speak to the autoimmune because that's how it started. The audience that would be worried about health issues associated with getting into the sauna. So it wasn't just low EMF. It was this health conscious, you're not here because you're the CrossFit guy. You're here because you're actually trying to solve a problem. Dude, it was brilliant. So they took an industry that would be impossible to compete in and they carved out this phenomenal little corner for themselves and they charged a premium for it. And that's what you do. So your bottom of funnel versus top of funnel this is your top of funnel strategy. So if you're listening to this, yeah, like, they do, they never could have competed in the bottom a- of the absolutely, funnel. Ever. Absolutely. Well, they would have found very quickly. Let's say if they started, right. they would have found out very quickly, holy crap, we can't compete in the, you know, I want to buy a sauna keyword world. You know what I mean? Best saunas. You don't need to be a Google ads expert to figure out what the high intent keywords are for your particular business. The point is, is if you go and you test and you do that test, Let's say you are in a niche, or maybe you're in a broad niche, like our business coaching example here, which I'm sure we'll, we'll never work with this guy because he's like, it's such a good example. Not if he listens to this episode, but it's a great yeah. example. It's like, hey, tier 11, wave the magic wand. Why don't you? Well, we would take a top funnel approach, not being Google first, and exactly what you're saying. Figure out sub niches of sub niches of sub niches, or niche of a niche of a niche of a niche. And unique mechanism is what exactly are you talking about here? Which is funny because you're not really like an um, advertising marketing guy. I mean, in the classic no, sense, I'm a data nerd. you're more data, yeah. I think, which makes this 
podcast interesting, in my opinion. The point is, is what you've done is you've actually talked to how to differentiate yourself in the market by using a unique mechanism that maybe everybody else has, but then you tie it back to a specific benefit to a specific niche, a niche of a niche of a niche. So you've got saunas, then you have all the different types of saunas. Then you have this EMF feature, which is one feature. In a, I've never bought a sauna before. Let's say there's 20 different features of a sauna. There are. There's 20 different features you're looking for right. in a sauna and 20 different categories. And so yeah. how do you differentiate yourself in a crowded market? You take one feature. All you need is one. Or you take all the 20 and you test them all with top-level content and see what resonates with the market, tying it back to a specific avatar. In your case, it was immunocompromised, detox. detox. Yeah, I was looking sauna for detoxing. What sauna is best for detoxing? Sauna for detoxing. So you were searching for a specific benefit of a sauna and you came upon this. And you just nailed it there, Ralph, because they didn't niche down into the feature. They niched down into the benefit. The benefit is detox and connected it to the feature that helped me buy their sauna. That's how you back out. So you take all the 20 features and that one feature, that EMF feature, then you're like, oh, who would be interested in the EMF feature? And then you back out your research, maybe create some content around it. This is a couple of Google searches. This is, in essence, what we refer to as the creative lab, like getting very, very deep in your avatar and how to differentiate yourself in the market. Because if you're going against everybody for best sauna, you're going to lose if you're new in the market. But if you do exactly what this company does, and this is a different way of figuring out CAC and a different way of actually doing something that no one else is doing or doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, but just phrasing it in a different way. And I think that's the key to it all. And what is that thing that you can pull out of your product or service that maybe everybody else has, but how do you actually turn a phrase or how do you create a unique selling proposition in the old school language that will talk to a specific avatar? And in your case, heavy metal poisoning, or it might be all the different features of EMF, which could be lots of different types of metabolic states. So it's a great example of how to actually do all this. I think your first level research is absolutely, you're dead on. High intent-based keywords, I can't compete in this market. Great. Well, that's your first step. You now know. Yeah, well, now now what? what? Right. Second step is the now what? So what? Now what? I love that phrase. So what? Well, now what? Now what do we do? Like, all right. I realized that my cost per acquisition is $10,000 and my lifetime value is $1,000. Great. You just lost $9,000. Welcome to business. But what are you going to do about it? And this sauna company obviously did it. That's the type of thing. When you figure that out, we found that just by doing a shotgun approach with top-level content, you end up finding out sometimes what that feature is and what that avatar is that's tied to the feature then all of a sudden it's a game changer. Mm, that's an interesting idea, the shotgun approach. It's like you come out with 10 to 15 different end result benefits based off of 10 to 15 different avatars and see which one performs the best. And because top of funnel traffic is so much cheaper, that experiment is either no more expensive or far less expensive than a very focused snipered bottom of the funnel approach. Yeah. And I don't think you even need to put paid traffic behind it. Here we are, two agency owners talking about Obviously, using PPC is a testing mechanism, but from my perspective, like one of the first things we do is when a customer comes to us and they're having trouble scaling, what type of top-level content has resonated with your audience? 
go to your page insights. There might be some nugget of gold somewhere, somehow. And I always use the example of a business that we scaled from a million a year to 50 million a year using these 11 superfoods. And there's tons of competition in this market for green juice. But the point is, is we figured out this one thing, combination of these superfoods together that no one else had. And we made that the thing to go out for lose weight niche, the healthy niche, the green juice niche, because it was slightly different, a little bit different than our EMF example here, but we're taking a feature of the product and then creating a benefit around it. You can do it one of two ways. You can sort of tie the two together. And I think that's how you do it at top level. And you don't even need to spend much money doing it. You just need to create the content and see really what sticks and what resonates with your audience and then put a little money behind it. Like in the Dennis Yu episode, where we talk about a couple of dollars a day boost those posts. We do this in our agencies, really. I mean, I know you spend a fair amount. I spend more than a couple of dollars a couple of dollars a day. A day. But yeah, but the point I, is, it's like the, all of its top level content though, it's educational. It's not necessarily pitchy per se. I think there's a lot to be learned here. And I think we need to continue to drive this home. It is a numbers-based answer to the question of how much should I be spending? What's a reasonable time for success? And how do I actually scale in a market like this when there's some uncertainty that's out there? Yeah, it's not a marketing question. It's a business question that marketing helps to answer. So we will leave links in the show notes here. As always, make sure you check out our YouTube channel. A lot of these are already on YouTube, which is pretty exciting. So we'll leave the link in the show notes for that. And if you haven't heard it already, we're already starting to do some nugget episodes, which we're pretty excited about, Cosm. We're taking some of the best nuggets from previous perpetual traffic episodes and putting them into these shorter podcasts that we're really pretty excited about. So podcast shorts, we're trying to create our own sort of podcast category here. Custom. It's pretty exciting. So check those out in the back catalog. We'll leave links to that in the show notes. Make sure that you leave a rating and subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. So always leave a rating, give us some feedback here. Let us know what you think of especially the shorts episodes. We're pretty excited about those. And follow me over on LinkedIn. That's Ralph Burns. And then Kasim on Twitter at Kasim Aslam. You're a really good follow on Twitter. Keep that up, buddy. Go back and listen to previous episodes. Like I said, the YouTube channel we will leave in the show notes. And on behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam, who has figured out the problems of all online and digital marketers today. <laughs> Until next show. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. 